0: Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church sermon podcast. I'm your host, Brad Calloway. I serve as the Minister of Youth and Education here at Unity. And in this episode today, we have Senior Pastor Heath Bauer. He is sharing a message on a new year and a new purpose, and is found in Psalm chapter nine. Stay with us to the end, and find out how you can connect to Unity Baptist Church.
1: Well, it's good to be here in 2022, and again, I hope that you're approaching this year with. An eager optimism of what God is going to do in our church and in your lives individually. Let's start this year off right. If you want to work your way to Psalm chapter 90, toward the middle of your Bible, we're going to be looking in Psalm 90. as we talk about a new year and a new purpose, as we drive throughout America, There are signposts that we all have to learn. You go to driver's ed, you have to memorize what all this little iconography and the symbolism of road signs mean. As we drive throughout the country, we see the little road signs that have the squiggly line on it, don't we? Especially out in the country roads of Ashland. You know, we see the squiggly lines, it's letting you know, hey, you can't lean over to eat cereal, you can't be doing your makeup, you can't be fiddling with the radio, you gotta be dialed in. It's warning us that there's something to come. Likewise, there's destination signs that we're on a highway or on a road trip. It lets us know, you know, Ashland, 20 miles, or, you know, if you're headed to St. Louis, St. Louis... 250 miles or something. It lets us know that we're we're headed the right way. These signposts they bring us a little bit of assurance and comfort that we know what's coming, and so that we can prepare ourselves now for what is coming. Prior to GPS, you guys remember going on road trips with Mr. Rand and McNally, don't you? And you open up those giant—I mean, they were huge—and you—you hopefully you got a navigator, but if you don't, you're trying to figure out what's what's going on, and so and you, sometimes you'd be driving, you think you're doing good until one of those roadsides come up. Oh wait, I'm not even heading the right direction. You realize I, I've gone an hour and a half out of my way the wrong way. And there's no more defeating and discouraging feeling than to realize too late that you've been going the wrong way and now you're an hour and a half further away from your destination than where you desired to be. And so in life, every year that we pass, is a signpost. It's a reminder to look back on our life to see how we lived and with eager anticipation to the future of how we will live. And we wanna make sure there are certain signposts in our life that remind us, no, you are headed in the right direction or whoa, you're headed in the wrong direction. Don't get lost in life. Psalm 90 is one of those signposts for our life. Hopefully you have found your way there. Psalm 90 is a really interesting Psalm for one reason. It's the only Psalm written by Moses. So we're not reading a Davidic Psalm this morning. This is written by Moses. And to give you a little context for Psalm 90 and its message, it was written by Moses at a particular time in his life. You remember when God used Moses to lead his people out of the nation of Israel. God supernaturally protected them. He led them through the wilderness into the desert, and they're on their way to the promised land. But soon as they get to the promised land toward the southern border, Kadesh Barnea, and they're sending in spies to scout out the land, they discover it's not going to be easy. Following God is not going to be easy. Who figured that? Following God still isn't easy, but they didn't want to follow God. They wouldn't have faith to go into places that they've never been. They wouldn't have faith to trust God with this uncertain future, with something I cannot control. And because of that, God says, for your lack of faith, I'm going to let all of you, the older generation, die in the wilderness. And it's after that proclamation that Moses writes this psalm. And so Moses is... is, understandably he's discouraged he's seeing his future is going to be just wandering in a desert pitching your tent picking up your tent moving to a new place pitching your tent picking up your tent moving to a new place and all he's ever going to see for the rest of his life is sand He's never going to enter into that promised land, this place of blessing that God promised him. And it's going to be a continual reminder every time he pitches his tent and picks up his tent that they failed to trust God and to move forward into the future. And now as a result, they're stuck wandering in circles into the desert until they die. And understandably, he's thinking, what a waste of a life. How do I make sense? How do I find any meaning in a life of wandering around in the sand. And so Moses cries out as a prayer to God for, for meaning and significance and purpose in what appears to be a very purposeless existence. In Psalm chapter 90, we're gonna learn three things here from this passage. The first is that it is God who gives us security. You know, and that's what you need when you're wandering around in the wilderness, don't you? He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations He says that God is our home That's pretty significant to write When you're a people who don't have a home When you're just wandering around in the wilderness And you don't have a place All you have are these, these hides of animals That are pitched up over you like a tent You don't have any place to call home You don't have a piece of land You don't have something to develop You have no security in your life There's no reliable food or water apart from God you don't have any city walls there's no reliable protection for your family or your entire nation except that which comes from God there's no familiarity you're constantly on the move and traveling around there's there's no comfort Uh, things are constantly changing and yet they're never changing and so you have no security apart from God and he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. You're that place of, that is home. You're that security. You're that protection. You're that provision for us. And you always have been. You have been in, in ages past, and you always will be for the future. He says, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. What Moses is saying is that for you and me, this message is still true. You may have a home. You may not. But you may have a home, but that's not your home. You may have a home, but only God can give you the security that your heart longs for from having a house or having a home. Why is God worthy of this security? Look at verse 2. He says it's because God never changes. He says, Before the mountains were brought forth, before you had ever formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before there was any kind of physical reference point for man to orient himself by, before there was any matter, before there was anything, there was God. Like we studied in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, before there was anything, there was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? Before anything existed, God was still God. God was, God, he's telling us when he says this that God is the only fixed reference point in our life. Everything else around us is going to change, and it's going to constantly keep changing. And if we're going to have security, it's not going to come from trying to make everything here unchanging because that's impossible. It's going to come from anchoring ourselves into God Himself. And only then can we find security. He is our dwelling place. Before the mountains were brought forth from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are the only thing, Moses is saying, God, you're the only thing in my life that never changes. So we're gonna trust you. Our security is going to firmly be in you. Hebrews thirteen 8 echoes the same idea when, it, idea when it says Jesus is the same. Yesterday, that means eternity past. Today, that means right now where you are. And he always will be there for the future. So he's worthy of your trust. If you're trying to find security in anything other than God today, friends, you're going to be the most insecure person around. And I'll tell you this too, you're probably the most controlling person. If you're trying to find security in anything other than God as a fixed reference point, you're probably insecure and you're probably trying to control everyone and everything around you because you think that your security is in your ability to control your surroundings. Have you found out yet that you can't control your surroundings? Have you found out that you can't control your children completely? Have you found out that you can't control your mate? If you're trying to control your mate, friends, we need to some counseling because I'm telling you right now, you're struggling. There's no such spiritual gift as, or, as, or as spiritual fruit as others control. It's only self-control. We can't control people, we can't control the church, we can't control the environment out there, we can't even control that we keep our job. We can't control anything, and when we try to, it's because we're trying to be our own God. Because only God is sovereign, that means only God is fully in control. That means that if I'm gonna have security, I can't find it in my ability to control people and things. My security has to come from the one who is the only one who can control things. And that is found in Psalm 90. Lord, you are our dwelling place. What he's describing here is something in doctrine we call the immutability of God God's inability to mutate, his inability to change. God cannot change, it would be to go against his very nature. How does it bring me comfort that God never changes? It's because I can trust that which doesn't change. I cannot trust the shifting sand of everything around us. All of life constantly changing around me as I'm being forced to adapt and learn new things. We're never allowed just to coast in life. We're constantly adapting to the changes. Technology changes, doesn't it? How many of you guys drove a buckboard to church today? Anybody? I didn't see too many out in the parking lot, so. We adapt to change. Some of you guys are wearing Apple watches on you. You've got smartphones in your pockets. Most of you enjoyed Novocaine at your last dental visit, so we're grateful for some of these changes. Now, some of these changes we're not so grateful for because things around us are different. We, we don't always understand what the new generation that's up and coming is doing. They have new apps you know, that pop up and you know, TikTok and all these other things, and, and maybe we don't fully understand what those are or why that's important to that generation. And so we're always having to adapt and learn you have to learn how to, you know, years ago, they had to learn how to set the timer on their VCR. Now we don't even have VCRs. Now we got, you know, everything is streamed and it's online and you have to navigate a series of menus and buttons to get where you want to go. Life constantly changes. So the message of Psalm 90 is if you want security moving into 2022, it's not going to come from you. Your security moving forward is going to come from the only fixed reference point in life, and that is God. God. He says in verse three, we can even trust God with our death because God is in control of our death. Verse three, he says, you return man to dust. You, God, return man to dust. Return, O children of man. It's a command of God. He's in control of this event. For a thousand years are in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past. In other words, God is not limited to time, but we are. He says our life is like a watch in the night. That's a four hour period. A four hour period in the middle of the night is gone. You don't even know it happened because you're drooling on your pillow. Okay, it's a it's a quick period of time. He he says, "You God, sweep them away as like a flood." Okay, at it, it, that time, it, it, God just he he washes everything away. But God is in control of the day of our death. And friends, can that bring us security? That your your life and your death are not an, are not a result of cosmic accidents. There's none of us who will show up on the win- on the doors of heaven and knock on the doors, and I'll go, whoa, I didn't expect this pop in, okay? That's never gonna happen. God is in control. He's going to sovereignly say, it's your time. It's your time. It's your time. And that is a comforting thought because I'm not a victim of accident. The man of God is immortal until the, God's purposes are finished with him, and then God sovereignly calls him home because God is even... In control of our death so do what you want exercise uh, eat vitamins wear a mask don't do international travel whatever these unhealthy things are you know don't don't skate in the highway whatever that is whatever you do though understand that God is still the one who's in control of our death and so we do not need to fear it because our God is the one in control of it God says in his timing he will sweep our lives away like a flood when there's a flood that happens what does it take away everything. If you've ever seen a flood, it just washes it all away, and Moses chooses this term to describe what God does with our life. He's saying that there's nothing stable in our life, that at one point in time, every relationship we've built, every house that we've built, every, everything that we've ever done in life, our 401k, our or even our family at one point in time is going to be washed away. It's going to be gone. So if you're trying to find security in just establishing yourself in a powerful way in this earthly life, you're going to be insecure your entire life. God's going to wash it away like a flood. He says in verse five, "They who is they? That's you and I." He says, "They humans were like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. And in the morning it flourishes; it's renewed. But in the evening, which comes quickly." It fades away, and it withers. Moses calls our life a dream. You know, you brush your teeth, you read a book, you kiss your wife goodnight, you roll over, you go to sleep, you dream about uh, purple kittens flying and showing up to class without your pants, and, you're, ah! and and that's what we do. We have a dream, but then you wake up, and you start the routine again. You brush your teeth, you go off to work, and everything that happened that night happened instantaneously, and it's completely forgotten. Moses says, that's what our life is like. He also compares it to grass. Right now, you're enjoying leaving your mower parked in the shed, aren't you? But there will come a day in the spring when that grass is gonna start growing up. And then, how often are you gonna mow it? Once a month? Not without your neighbors complaining. You're gonna mow it about every week, and if not more, sometimes. And you're gonna get on that riding mower and put your earmuffs on, and you're thinking, I feel like I just did this. And you get out there and you mow the grass anyway. God says, that's what our life is like. You have a generation that rises up, it's cut down. Generation rises up, it's cut down. Generation rises up, it's cut down. There's a pattern, and it it, it doesn't last long. Verse seven says, for we are brought about to an end by your anger again our end is controlled by god he says by your wrath we are dismayed he's saying that our bodies they wear out because of god's anger and wrath against sin that when sin entered into this world god's curse upon all of the earth took place there's thorns in the ground animals begin to eat each other uh humans we 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 experience pain and difficulty god said to the woman you'll bear pain in your childbirth he says you're not going to naturally get along with your husband any longer they used to prefall okay so there's there's difficulty and there's pain but he's saying here he says uh You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. What he's telling us is that all the pain and difficulty we experience about God's wrath against sin in this fallen world, it's not just because of Adam. It's not just because we inherited an evil sin nature. It's because we ourselves personally have earned and deserved any of this wrath that we receive. Any of the pain and suffering we experience on earth is not just a result of Adam's sin, it's a result of our own. That God sees even the secret sins, the the sins that you and I, we, we don't share in Sunday school as a prayer request. God knows it. He sees it. And we have contributed, if you will, to this fallen world and this fallen estate. And yet, even though we're sinners living in a sinful world under the wrath of God against sin, we can have security even in our death because God controls it. Is there a need to overcome this fear of death? Is there anybody here who doesn't fear death? I mean, there's a lot of people, uh, most humans, at some point in time in your life, every human has feared death. It's something that we all have to face. It's not something we always like to talk about. Death is not a pleasant topic, is it? In fact, when we were serving in China, it's built into the culture, you don't talk about death. The most rude things that you can do in Chinese culture is to talk about death. You go to a hotel, you go to an office building, did you know there's not even a fourth floor? It's true. You go in there and you go to elevator, oh, there's no fourth floor, why not? Because the word four, s sounds a lot like death, S. okay? And so you don't say that word, you don't you wanna live on that floor, you don't wanna be near it, you don't even wanna think about it. It's why in Chinese culture also you don't give, don't, don't be given Mei Mei a clock, okay? It's not polite in Chinese culture to give somebody a clock because to give a clock, Song Zhong, sounds a lot like to attend a funeral. And so within the culture, you avoid talking about death at all costs. And if you do, you're considered impolite. We don't talk about death. Why? Because none of us can control it. That's something that God alone controls. And we fear it. As a believer, do we need to fear death? We don't, do we? Did you know the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, in other words, you and I have a physical body, Because of that, he, Jesus, himself likewise partook of the same things. That's the Christmas message. Jesus took on flesh because you and I have it. Why? So that through death, through his own death on the cross, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and do what? Deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. He's saying is just an assumption. All men fear death because it's something that you've never done. It's a little intimidating, and you cannot control it. And it's very final. And if you're not prepared for it, it can be terrifying. But for the believer, we don't have to fear it. Why? Because it's at that moment of death, friends, that we are most secure. Did you realize that? At the moment of death, it's that point in time where you are most secure in life because it's that moment where you have let go of what you can control, and you've put yourself fully in the hands of Jesus And he is waiting right there at that moment of death personally to transport you into his presence. To be absent with the body, the Bible says, is to be present with the Lord. It's at that moment you are most secure in death. So the thing that we fear the most is actually the most secure time of our life. And so Jesus can deliver us from that fear of death. Knowing that our Father is with us, we don't have to be afraid. It's sort of like, you remember riding your bike for the first time? When I was a little kid, I had a, I had a John Deere bike. That's right. In Iowa, everything was made by John Deere. And so I had a John Deere bike, and it was huge. It had a big old banana seat, because that's what we all had in the 80s for some reason. And we had this uh, banana seat, and I'd get on these big old handlebars, and my feet could barely touch the pedals, and it was a little terrifying but my dad assured me it would be okay because he was going to be right there behind me and there was a little convenient loop, I'm convinced for parents to hold on to, to hold on to the back of my bike as I was going. So I couldn't see my father, but I had his word, his assurance that he was there. Furthermore, I could feel his presence as he was stabilizing me. And I knew that I could confidently move forward into the future, if you will, because my father had a hold of my bike. Friends, God has a hold of the bicycle of our life. We may not see him, But we have his words from from the Bible that reassure us that he's there. We sense his presence. We feel his strength behind us moving us on. And so I don't have to fear anything the future has. I don't have to fear 2022. Why? Because God's got a hold of the bike. And if I'll listen to his words and look for his strength and presence, I can pedal forward in something I've never done before, knowing that God is there with me. Number two, we're gonna discover that God gives life a time limit. In verse nine, it says, for all the days, our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. God is saying that after we've endured uh, a lifetime of suffering on earth, he says at the very end, our life is just a, God says, that's our life. We're an exhale, It, it, it goes so quickly. Just how quick does life go? In verse 10, he says, the years of our life are 70, if by reason of strength, they are 80. So he's telling us the very best that we have to hope for in this earthly life is about 70 years. That's about it. That's that's what God has appointed unto man. Sure, there's people that live longer, but that's, that's your average lifespan. He says, if by reason of strength... You know, if, you, uh, you, know, if you, you exercise, you eat your vitamins, you don't eat out with Rick Mustard too much because that brother likes his red meat and his Dutch friars. If by reason of strength you take care of yourself and you don't get hit by a truck, okay, Maybe you'll get 80 years out of this life, but that's, that's our best case scenario that our Father gives us, and not everybody's gonna make it to that. We cannot boast that tomorrow will be there. Well, at least I have so many more years. Proverbs 27.1 tells us that we can't even boast about tomorrow. We don't know what a day is gonna bring forth. We can't assume that just because things are going well for us now that I can rest on that for a while, that I can coast through life because it's going to remain good. In fact, the only person in the Bible God ever personally calls a fool is the one who is trusting that because things are good now, they will be be later. Remember the, the parable of the rich fool. I have many goods laid up for many years. I've got it made. He says, I will basically tell my soul, soul, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. God says, you fool. Do you really think that just because things are going well for you now that it's just, that that ensures that you're going to have a long and healthy life? He says, tonight your soul will be required of you. We cannot presume that tomorrow is going to be there. And even if we do live that long, what does the end of verse 10 say? Yet their span, the length of your life, what's it going to be filled with? Toil and trouble, soon and they are soon gone and we fly away so even if you do get to spend a few extra years on this rock away from God he says all you're going to have is more toil more work you have more 40 to 50 hour weeks you got to keep paying property taxes you're going to keep fixing that naggy leaky kitchen sink and you'll have trouble. You're gonna have difficulty. You're gonna be struggling with relationships. You're gonna be struggling with new things that you have to adjust and adapt to. You're gonna have to go to the doctor's office and you're gonna feel like you live at the doctor's office and eventually you come home with a tray of medications and you're taking handfuls of medications like candy. He says, that's the best our life has to hope for even if you do get that long life. He says in verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? He's saying that a wise man will not just accept that life is hard and move on. He's not just gonna say, suck it up buttercup, life's tough. Get on, move on with it. He's gonna say, life is difficult. I wonder why? Why is life so full of suffering? Why is there so much difficulty and pain in the world? The question that's always asked, why do good people suffer? Well, first of all, you misunderstand that the Bible doesn't say that all people are good. The Bible says that all of us are sinful, and apart from God, none of us would seek him. But we ask these questions, and we're supposed to ask ourselves, why do I struggle so much in life? It's because there's a God who has created us who is wonderful and amazing and holy, and he created us, but we've rebelled against him, and we are living under his wrath, and we're living on a cursed earth. We're supposed to ask that question. He says a wise man will do that. They will fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is also that period of time when you realize that we're not good, that God is good, that this good God made us and so we're morally accountable to him and we're gonna stand before him someday. Therefore, I will change how I live today knowing that I'm gonna face God tomorrow. That's the fear of the Lord. And it's when you come to that belief that I'm really not as good as I think, that God is far better than I think, and that I'm morally accountable to him, it's at that moment that you fear the Lord and you begin to change how you live. You want to seek him out. You want to get right with God. It's the first step of faith. It's the beginning of wisdom. The fear, of the fear of the Lord, the best illustration I can think of is the thieves on the cross. You remember those guys? Jesus is uh, crucified in between these thieves. And they're both mocking Jesus and, and throwing out insults and slander, and they have no idea who he is or why he's here. But then as they observe Jesus suffering well, which is not what people typically do, they, one of them begins to realize this is not a normal fellow. There's something unique about this guy. And he begins to believe in God. He, he realizes he's sinful, that God is great. Look what he says in uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 30, 40 and following. He says, do, he, to the other thief, he sees the other thief still scorning and mocking Jesus. And he looks at him, he says, do you not fear God? In other words, do you not realize that he is good and you're sinful and that you're gonna stand before him? So change how you live today. Do you not fear God? He says, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, you're gonna die. You can't get around it. He says, and we indeed justly, he he accepted that he is a sinner and deserving of the punishment that he got. He says, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus in faith and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is what happens at conversion. We fear God. We understand that we're sinful, that we deserve God's punishment against sin. We understand that God is good and that he is just. And to remain good, he must punish our sin eternally because of our sins against an eternal God. And then because of that, we do, we we seek out God with all of our heart. God, God, give me that forgiveness. Grant to me eternal life. Declare me righteous because I can't do it myself. I'm going to change how I live today because I know God is good, that I'm not, and I'm going to face him. That, friends, is the fear of the Lord. In verse 12, Moses says, because of this, he says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart unto wisdom. Moses says, so. It connects what he's saying to what he just previously said. So, because of the fact that God is good. So, because of the fact that we are sinful. So, because of the fact that we will die one day and stand before God. Because of this, do what? Teach us to number our days. To number our days is a term that means to budget. It means to assess what we have and to decide how these things will be spent. Hopefully, you guys have a budget at home. You decide together you know, how you're going to spend your money because most of you, I'm assuming, are on a limited budget. You do not have unlimited funds. Is that a correct assumption? You have un- do not have unlimited funds and likewise, we don't have unlimited time. And so we have to budget our time. We have to, he says, count our days. Now, in a best-case scenario, how many days do we have? We have 70 years. And again, if, if by strength and you're good and you're strong and you exercise and everything goes well for you, maybe 80. But God wants us to number our days, so let's do that today. Let's subtract our current age from 70. Or if you feel like you're really strong, you're feeling you're feeling good, maybe 80. Me, I'm gonna do the math myself too. My dad didn't make it past 69. And so I'm gonna budget my life from 70. And so if I subtract my 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 current age from seventy, no, 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 carry the one. Okay, that gives me twenty-two years at a best case scenario. Best case scenario. I've been married longer than that. He says, teach us to number our days. What has God given you? What time do you reasonably have to expect in a best case scenario from God? For some of us, we're on the grace of God time. (laughs) And it's a good thing. God has empowered you to live a long life, which means he empowers you to serve him longer. He wants you to use that wisdom for him. You're still here. It's still daytime for you, if you will. But the night comes when we can't work, so we work today. It's important that we do this. You may not like doing this kind of math. You don't like this story problem because it's very personal. It reminds us that our life has a time limit. Do you like that your life has a time limit? I don't love it. I mean, you probably don't love it either. But time limits are necessary to motivate us to action. Imagine you sign up for a credit card and there's no bill due date. You go out on your Disney vacation, you have a cruise, uh, you pay off all your bills, you buy a new iPhone, But there's no due date for your bill. Are you going to pay that bill? If you do, it'll be the very last bill that you pay. We need a due date to motivate us to take action. If you ever watched, uh, maybe you, I don't know if there's any competitive chess players in here. Have you ever watched them on TV or on a movie or something? What do they have in between them? They got a little clock, don't they? And these guys, they're looking at it. And they move it a piece. and they're, they're just slapping that clock as fast as they can. They're making quick decisions. They're making the most of every moment they have, why? Because in that chess match, they've decided there's a certain amount of time that we have to spend on this game. And if you run out of time before the game is over, you've lost. That's why they've got that clock. It's to motivate you to keep thinking quickly so you don't drag out the chess game because if you do, you'll have these chess nerds going, let's see, if I move my pawn to C4 and, or I could you know, employ Pavlov's defense you know, and I could move my knight over here. And they're thinking of every possible permutation. You gotta get those guys moving or it'll take forever. It's the same way with our life. God gives us a time limit to motivate us to take action. Don't put it off. Whatever God wants you to do with your life, don't wait. Don't boast that you've got tomorrow to do that. That's why Ecclesiastes tells us, remember now the Lord in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. You think your life is hard now? Talk to your grandparents. Those are hard days. So serve God now with what you have. He says, teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, when we think about how much time we don't have, it causes us to better spend the time that we do have. We live differently when we know that we have limited time. When you go to Disney, there's certain events and activities that you are planning to do. And if I do nothing else, I'm at least going to this roller coaster and to this show and to this event because eventually they're going to kick me out of the House of Mouse and no more Dole whips for me. I've got to go back to Ashland. Okay, so. You, you get a time limit, and it motivates you to think clearly. I'm not just going to walk into Disney and say, well, what do we got here? Oh, nice. Oh, this is fun. Here, let me spend money in this gift shop, in this gift shop, in this gift shop. Oh, wait, I never got to the rides. That's what Disney wants you to do, but a smart person will say, I've only got like eight, nine hours here. Let's get out the map, and let's draw, you know, and with the efficiency of a city planner, you're going through, and you're figuring out what you're doing. That's what Psalm 90 is meant to do with our life, because I only have a very narrow window of time I'm going to fill that time with what's most essential with what's most important I'm going to live for things that matter not just going to wander through life it gives us a heart of wisdom Ecclesiastes 7 says there is wisdom in the house of mourning because that is the end of every man and the wise take it to heart the third thing we get from uh, Psalm 90 here is that God gives our life meaning in verse 13 He says, return, O Lord, how long, and have pity on your servants. When he says, return, O Lord, he's not asking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is not the return of God to earth. Jesus hasn't even come the first time yet, okay? Then return to what? So what he's asking for God to do is return to the time when they were under his mercy, under his protection, under his blessing. God, return us to this time where where you can bless our life. Have pity on your servants. Lord, we completely blew it at Kadesh Barnea. We refuse to trust you with the future. We refuse to change and adapt to your desires for us, Lord. Have pity on your servants. And then he prays for three things for the believer's life. He prays for contentment, gladness, and meaningful work. He prays for contentment in verse 14. He says, Satisfy us to make us content. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Moses begins by saying, Satisfy us in the morning. Morning in the Bible is talking about a time where it's fresh start, fresh beginnings, new beginnings. your, Your lousy day that you had yesterday, the headache you went to bed with last night, it's all gone. Let's start over, let's start anew. Let's see what God has for this day. And so he's saying, satisfy us. This new day, this new period, God, satisfy us with you. Because truly, nothing else will satisfy. We can try, but Jesus says, beware of covetousness because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. You can get a lot of things, and what do you get with that? Just more stress and pressure, more things to maintain, more things to keep up, more things to pay taxes on. Life doesn't consist in just gathering things. And he says, so only God can give us this deep, heartfelt satisfaction. Not the things that were in Egypt, you know you know how some of the, the Jews, they were like, oh, if we only had the leeks and onions from Egypt. And it wasn't even the, the land of milk and honey that awaited their children. It's only God who can bring that deep, heartfelt satisfaction. What is it that satisfies us? He says, satisfy us in the morning with your, what is that word? Steadfast love. You've seen that word before, haven't you? We've talked about it. It's the, Greek, it's the Hebrew word hesed, remember? It's that unique word for which there's no true English equivalent that's why you have these different translations Translate it: faithful love, uh, steadfast love, loyal love, all these different ways because it's all of these meanings rolled up into one. It's God's love for us that he has because of who he is. So God loves you just as much today whether you sinned yesterday or whether you didn't in your mind. He loves you just as much today whether you, whether you made an online donation to the church or you didn't. Now the church's got to pay its bills and it's a way that we contribute and give back to God and show our love to him and trust in him but God still loves you. That God's affection and love for you is secure. It's not going to change just because of the good you do or the evil that you do. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever and so is his love for you. It's his hesed. He says... The second thing he prays for is gladness. In verse 15, he says, Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. He's simply asking for God, dilute our life from all the evil we've experienced. Just give us some good amidst the bad that we experience. We need a break. And God, we need times of gladness in this dirty, filthy, sandy desert that we're living in. God, we need something from you to make us glad because there's not a lot of gladness in the camp because the, the conversations around the campfire at night are what's the point? We're not going anywhere. God is just waiting for us to die and then let our kids go in and take the land. What's the point? And there's discouragement and there's despair. Moses is recognizing that gladness is a gift from God. Gladness is a gift from God granted to those who live life his way. Did you realize that, that you can't be happy apart from God? Not truly lasting happy. Happiness is something that God gives. It's a capacity that God gives man. It's and only God can give it. Psalm 126 verses two through three says, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Our gladness comes from God. Psalm 1611 says, You made known to me the path of life in your presence when we walk close with the Lord. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, that special place of privilege, that intimate walk with Jesus. When we have that, he says, at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Our only way that we can enjoy life is by staying close to Jesus. But our flesh always tells us, no, it's a lie. It's a lie. Just go out and find pleasure like the rest of the world has. Go live in sin. You don't need to obey God. You're gonna be so much happier if you do it your way. how did that work for Adam and Eve? Do it your way. God is trying to limit your happiness. He knows in the day that you eat that fruit, you'll be like him knowing good and evil. God is withholding something good from you. Was God withholding good from them? No, the happiest they could be was walking obediently to the Lord in the garden of Eden. Eden means what in Hebrew? Delight. Did you know that God ultimately wants you to be happy? He enjoys it when we are happy. He enjoys our gladness. But God will not grant gladness to the person who is walking outside of his will. Something you forfeit when we choose to live a life of sin is we forfeit our ability to enjoy life. Have you noticed that when you're not walking close with the Lord, you don't even enjoy the things you used to enjoy the same way? your old hobbies, you can't even watch TV and enjoy it. You're just like, ugh, none of this has any significance to it at all. My my soul is tired of these things. There's There's no gladness in it. It's because God is not in it. God is the author of our gladness and our happiness, and Moses prays for that. The third thing he prays for is to see God at work in their life. Verse 16, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. He's saying the same thing here, by the way. It's not simply let us know the work that you want us to do, it's God, we wanna see you at work in us. We wanna see you display your glory to us and not only that, but to who? Our children. They're acknowledging God, we blew it as adults, But we're praying that you at least allow our children to rise up and follow you and obey you and be willing to trust you amidst these scary changes of going into the promised land. God, let our children at least trust you. Let your work appear to your servants. We wanna see you at work. We wanna see you alive and powerful amongst us. We want you to be our God. We want you to lead us. We want you to guide us. We wanna see your strength because in doing that, God, we are glad and we're content and we're joyful We rejoice when we have a powerful God who's at work in our life. A meaningful life, people are always searching, what's the meaning of life? The meaning of life is to know God and to to be known by him. The meaning of life is to know him and to be a part of his work. That's the only thing that can give our life meaning. Is there very much meaning from just going and working uh, a nine-to-five job throughout the week spending as much of that as you can upon yourself and your earthly pleasures until your body finally gives out and you flatline. Is there a lot of meaning in that? There's not a lot when we just wrap up our life in ourselves. How do we find meaning then? We are immersed into the meaning of God. We are baptized into him. God's purposes become our purposes. And so now I work a nine-to-five job, but it's not just to earn money. It's that I can glorify God. I can share the gospel with my neighbors, with my coworkers. It's that I can disciple people that I have led to the Lord. It's that I can come to church and I can worship. I can give of my money, not just for my own entertainment, but I can give my money into something that's an investment into the future. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth can corrupt and thieves can come in and steal, but lay up your treasures in heaven where it's secure. And God rewards us openly when we give in that way that's what we that's what he does so to see God at work in our life is the longing of Moses heart and God wants to be at work in our life he wants to show himself mighty on our behalf in fact uh, when God was speaking to King Asa and reminding him of where his power came from he said to him he says because in 2nd Chronicles 16 9 he says because you relied on the Lord you trusted in me it was scary. It was different, but you trusted me. Because you relied on the Lord, it says, He gave them into your hand, for the eyes of the Lord are where? They're running to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are blameless toward him. In other words, those who are walking obediently with God, close with God, God wants to show himself mighty on your behalf. And the eyes of the Lord are looking, he's told Asa, they're looking for somebody somewhere whose heart will be blameless and trust God. Live life his way and just trust him with that scary future, that scary change that's ahead of you. Trust him with it. And when we do that, he says that he's going to give strong support. Other translations will say he's going to show himself mighty. He's going to see their, his power. It's what Moses was praying for in Psalm 90. The power of God lies on those whose hearts are fully seeking God, willing to trust him into that scary unknown, that scary future. Are God's eyes still searching to and fro throughout the whole earth? Yes, they are. Has God changed? Jesus is the same. What did we say? Yesterday, today, and forever. So right now, where you sit, where I stand, God's eyes are looking at your life and mine, your heart and mine. He knows what you long for and what you don't. He knows what you're living for and what you're not. He knows even, he says, Psalm 90, your secret sins. God knows what your life is about. He's looking continually all throughout this congregation and the whole earth for those whose hearts are fully his. My prayer is that in 2022, will there be people in Unity Baptist Church that God's eyes will stop on and say, there's someone who's willing to trust me. There's someone who's willing to trust me. There's someone whose life is blameless, who's willing to do life my way and trust me with that scary, unknown future. To that person, I want to show my power. And this is what Moses was praying for. God, we saw you work mightily in Egypt. Long time ago, God, we saw years and years ago, we saw you work mightily. You, you brought plagues down from the sky. You delivered us from the most mighty empire in the world. You led us through the Red Sea onto dry land. You closed the walls of the ocean. You destroyed Pharaoh, the most mighty army in the world. We saw you show yourself mighty. He's just saying, God, will you show yourself mighty once again? We don't just want to talk about the past when you worked, God. We want to talk about the future of what we believe and trust that you will do through each one of us if... We're willing to trust you and to march into that uncertain future, trusting you. You see, when we just try to control things ourselves and, and just try to keep our life very predictable, we're trusting in who? We're trusting in ourselves, in our ability to control our life. When we're willing to walk into an uncertain future, that's when we're exercising faith. Like Abraham, we're we're walking out into a land that God has yet to show us. But when we're walking into that uncertain future and we're willing to walk there with God, it's at that point in time that we are demonstrating faith. He says, finally, let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Establish is a word that means to set up something permanent, something that's going to outlast us like a city or a castle, something you can come and admire hundreds, even maybe a thousand years later. I want to know, God, that my life mattered for something, that I didn't just live for vain, empty things that just disappear. Disappear. I wanna know that my work, my effort, my life, it mattered for something. Establish the work of our hands. He repeats it, yes, establish the work of my hands. God, help me not to live for temporary, empty things, but for things that will last for eternity. And so the new year is a time for us to examine. It's time for us to examine our past. How are we living for eternal things? If we weren't, no problem. This is is the morning, okay? We have a new year. You know, there's a phrase in the new year, you you hear out with the old, in with the new, that kind of thing. Well, Italy takes that very seriously. Uh, Around midnight on New Year's Eve in Italy, nobody's on the streets, and I mean nobody. There's no pedestrians, there's no cars, even the police take cover, you wanna know why? Because there is a tradition in Italy that on New Year's Eve at the strike of midnight, everybody throws the shutters of their windows open and they begin to throw things out the window. They're throwing out old pots, they're throwing out pictures of old boyfriends or whatever, they're throwing out old uncomfortable furniture. They're just taking everything that used to be a part of their life that they hate, things that they don't wanna bring into the new year, and they chuck them out the window. I think that would be a sight to behold. You know, all the shouting and cheers and laughter and fireworks and, and crashing pots and furniture coming out of the third story window. It'd be pretty amazing. And while they do that physically, I wonder if every new year, it could also be a tradition for God's children for us to look at our life, and if we will, throw open the shutters, the doors of our life and say, God, look in there and throw out whatever I'm not supposed to bring into 2022. What sin is in there that should be thrown out and not brought in? What is it that needs to be brought into my house that's not there? Or maybe you're one of those today as we're talking about Jesus and you realize this book isn't even written to you because you're not a believer. I pray that this new year would be a time of self-reflection in our hearts, and in just a moment, we're going to do that. Just as uh, as as Theron comes, and we're going to sing together. We're going to reflect together as a congregation as we offer up our hearts of worship to God, and we're going to pray, God, throw open the doors of my life and take anything that shouldn't enter into 2022, and I want you to throw it out in the pavement. There's an idea that we're throwing it away. We're forsaking it. I never want to see it again. And I want you to pray about God. What does that look like? And if you're an unbeliever here today, I pray that you might this morning experience the love that Jesus has for you. For the rest of us, let's plan on walking forward together as a church in unity and obedience to God. Let's trust him with that uncertain future. None of us know what the future holds. But we do have a fixed reference point, don't we? We have someone we can trust. And that's the only thing that will not change. And so let's trust him with our future. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful today that as we go through the difficult toil and trouble of life that Moses says that we have, we don't have to do it alone. You have given us your son. You have given us the Holy Spirit, our comforter. You have given us right here a church family who can walk this life with us and share our burdens and even share our joys. And today, God, you have given us an opportunity to give our life to you. i Father, I pray that our salvation was only the first act of faith. That we're not just willing to trust you with our eternity, we're willing to trust you with today. We're willing to trust you with the things that we don't get, we don't understand. Those changes of life that are forced upon us continually as we grow up, as as life changes, as countries change, as policies change, as culture changes. As technology changes, Lord, help us not find our security in trying to stop the changes that are around us in the world, but find our security in our only fixed point, God, and that is you, our immutable God, who cannot change, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and who still to this day, God, you promise us your presence and your power. God, we claim that scripture for our own today as we move forward into 2022 as a unified body. God, reach this world through us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to make a decision to ask Christ into your heart, simply click on the link in the show notes, and we'll be able to help you find your way to Jesus. If you've enjoyed today's message, give our podcast channel some love by liking and subscribing to it. As promised, if you would like more information about Unity, you can connect with us at unitybaptistashland.com or on Facebook at Unity Baptist Ashland. Remember, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you are never alone. He is always near, and you are deeply loved. Until next time, have a great day.